Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning to a message I'm calling the unsearchable riches of Christ. In preparation for this message, I was reminded of an automobile I bought a few years ago. And when I bought that car, my salesman told me, he said, this car is so loaded full of options and features and technology. He said, every time you get in this car for about the next year or two, he said, you're going to discover something different about it every single time. And he was pretty much right. When our daddy saved us, he deposited on the inside of us the true riches of Christ so that we would delight in discovering him. Not stuff, him. Not things, him. Not silver and gold, him. Not the cattle on a thousand hills so that we would discover him. Not crystal chandeliers in heaven and pearly gates of heaven so that we would discover Him. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing that thrills my heart more than discovering Jesus, especially where He's hidden so well in the Old Testament. Oh, He pops out of the shadows all the time. Daddy lit an eternal candle in your spirit so that every time we pray, we would discover more of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Every time that we sing, we would discover more about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Every time we meditate on God's Word, we would discover more about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Every time we go to the Word and look at the Word and study the Word and read the Word, we would discover Jesus in those Scriptures. And the thing that thrills me the most, I think, is every time I prepare a message to preach, I'm always discovering more about the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, even as we preach, we preach things that we never even thought we were going to say. You know what we're doing at that point? We're, we're discovering more about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want you to get that in your heart for just a moment. Religion came along and confounded everything. It convinced the believer that you need to live out of your soul rather than your inner man, your spirit man. What do I mean by that, your soul and your spirit man? What I'm saying is this, when God saved us, he saved us in our spirit. When he saved us, he moved into our spirit. Our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. And the enemy will come along and say, why don't you just make all your decisions in life based on how you feel? <laughs> oh, listen, let me tell you something. I've made more decisions that were contrary to my feelings only because I knew it was a word from the Lord. But the enemy says, you know, why don't you just make decisions based on intellect? You know, that this sounds good. Listen, I'll tell you, there's things that sound good but are not good for us. But if we just listen to our spirit man, I want to tell you, he will guide you, the Bible says, into all truth and righteousness. Our souls have the propensity to keep us in an identity of slavery and servanthood. When the Holy Spirit the whole time is crying, no, it's not slavery, it's not servanthood, it's freedom and it's sonship. Our Father wants us to call him Papa. He wants to continually remind us that we are his beloved children. We see this truth in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Did you see that? He said, The Spirit that you receive does not make you a slave. We're a son. The Spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father, which literally just means Papa. It means Daddy. You'll hear us use that word, Daddy and Papa. That's what Abba means. It's a term of endearment that is one of the most sweetest ways to say Daddy. Abba, Father. Religion has not been truthful with us. Be honest with yourself now. Religion will tell you if you want to discover the unsearchable riches of Christ, then the journey begins by searching ourselves. Does it say that? Search yourself, brother, to see. Listen, come on, man. Religion will tell you that our journey to discover the true riches of Christ and the unsearchable riches of Christ begins by purging ourselves. Make yourself more holy. Listen, it's Jesus that makes us holy. It's not you. (laughs) Religion will tell you, listen, your journey to discover these riches of Christ begins by cleansing yourself. Mm Mm-mm. There's an Italian word for that. I'll tell you what it is. It's called baloney. I'm not kidding you. We do not have to clean ourselves. Jesus' blood was sufficient. I'm telling you, his blood was sufficient. What am I going to get off of me that his blood couldn't get off me? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I was in the dry cleaners this past week, picking up some clothes. And a man drove up in the drive-up window, and the guy that was waiting on me said, excuse me for just a moment. He walked over to the drive-up window, and I could hear the exchange going back and forth. The man that drove up was trying to give him a pair of dress boots that he had spilled battery acid on. He was very concerned about this because these are nice boots. And I could hear him telling me, he said to the man, he says, oh man, he said, there's nothing I can do. He said, the acid is too deep. And he said, it's too late. Do you know how many people get to the end of their life? And because religion has told them all their lives, it's programmed their minds to say, there's nothing God can do for you. Your sin is too deep. It's too late. Listen, I've sat beside the bedside of people dying that have had that mentality and they just can't let go when a good, good father is trying to say, no, it's not too late. It's not too late. And then he said to the man, he said, well, I could take them in if you want me to, and I could clean them. But he said, in a few weeks, you're going to have holes in your boots. He said, I'd rather have you mad at you than mad at me. You know what I found? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something, friends. I have discovered through the riches of grace that all my battery acid has been removed by my daddy. (laughs) And he has clothed me with a garment of praise, and he has robed me with a robe of righteousness. I don't have to walk around mad at God. I don't have to walk around mad at you. I don't have to walk around mad at me. His grace, His grace protects me so that the acid, we call it sin, can never destroy us ever again. Can never, no longer has a hold on me. Religion takes our eyes off of Jesus and puts them on self. Religion will put your eyes on you. Religion tells us that we have to die daily through performing to please our daddy. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. I've said this before. That is in the Bible. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. But let me say it one more time. When the Apostle Paul said, I die daily, what he was doing is he was reminding himself, I'm already dead. I'm already dead. I'm alive in Christ, yes, but I'm already dead to sin. You say, oh man, Pastor Mark, are you sure about that? All right, here we go. We're going on a journey. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Watch this now. Read those words. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead 
to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Would you like to know how we became dead to sin? I'll tell you. It was through the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's just call it what it is. Let's call it grace, okay? Look at those words. Even so, am I in the Bible? I'm in the Bible, ain't I? Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. More supporting scriptures. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's telling us plainly, you have died. Now listen, he's not talking to dead people here physically. He's talking to dead people spiritually speaking. He says, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law. And I like this right here because now he got off of being dead to sin and now he's transitioned over here into being dead to the law. He says, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. We have died to the law and we have died to sin. Oh yes, are we capable of sinning? Absolutely. But what has changed for the believer is God has taken away the penalty for our sin because Jesus paid for the penalty of our sin at the cross. Come on, you're going to help me preach this message, aren't you? <laughs> amen. I got an amen corner over here right now. Amen. This truth is made manifest only really through the unsearchable riches of Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law. I want you to see those words, released from the law. Having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Do you hear what he's saying here? Several years ago, I happened to be ministering to a teenage boy and his girlfriend. The girl was a pastor's daughter. I'm an evangelist man at heart. I figured pastor's daughters need to be saved too, right? So I looked at the young lady and I said, are you saved? She said, oh yes. I said, tell me about your salvation. She said, I keep the Ten Commandments. I said, really, name one of them. She said, well, thou shalt not kill. I said, you're 10% saved, name another one. She said, well, thou shalt not commit adultery. I said, you're 20% saved, name another one. She said, well, thou shalt not steal. I said, you're 30% saved, name another one. She said, well, thou shalt not lie. I said, you're 40% saved, name another one. She said, I can't. I said, young lady, by your own plan of salvation, you are lost. Let me tell you about what Jesus did for you. You see, friends, nobody ever got saved by the Ten Commandments. The law is there to bring us to Christ. I've said this so many times. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. But once he brings us to Christ, he hands us off to, to Jesus, and Jesus takes care of everything from there. We know that the, the confusion comes by mixing the two covenants together. If I was to say, now this is not rehearsed, if I was to say to you, Fred, I want you to get a mental picture of your son, and I was to say to you, Judy, get a mental picture of your daughter. You got your pictures? Now, I can't read your minds, but I can guarantee you're not thinking in terms of a baby picture. Why not? Because your kids are full grown. Okay, so what's my point? My point is this, simply. When our kids get full grown, we don't throw out the baby pictures. Wouldn't that be dumb? The baby pictures help us see the journey that our son and our daughter and our family's been on. We hold on to the baby pictures and sometimes we like to go down memory lane and look at those pictures and go, oh, look at that little baby picture. But if I said to you, think about your children, you don't think in terms of baby pictures. If you said to me, think about Tanner, I wouldn't think of him as a little baby. I'd think of Tanner the way he is right now. 
So it is with the Bible and the Old Covenant. I mean, the Old Covenant starts in Exodus chapter 20, basically, when God gave Moses the law. So that's only the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. That means from Exodus all the way to Malachi, through Malachi, that is Old Covenant. And even as we stepped into the New Testament, it is still Old Covenant in those first few chapters. Well, we don't throw out the Old Covenant, but you have to understand, you have to rightly divide the word of truth, and you have to say in your heart, this is not my covenant. I'm under the new covenant of grace. When fragments of Old Covenant and New Covenant mix together, it causes confusion, and it makes us run all over the place after what I am calling winds of doctrine and glory fixes. I want you to hear me. This is just the way it hit my spirit. The problem with winds of doctrine is it makes you run to and fro, constantly looking for a new teaching. That's what a wind of doctrine will do to you. You know, you're just like, man, because you've sat under so much teaching, you're just so smart. Man, you've got so much scripture and you've had so much teaching in you and you're looking for a new fix. You're looking for something you have never heard before. I'm not kidding you. There was a church one time my wife ministered in and after she was done ministering, a woman came up to her and said, well, that was a good message, but I didn't hear anything I did, hadn't heard before. Oh, you got to listen with your heart. You got to listen with your heart, your inner man, not just these ears. But it will have you running all over the place looking for these fixes, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 say this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Listen, I don't like to call grace doctrine because grace is really a, a person, not so much a doctrine, okay? But this is a sound thing. Grace is sound. It's wonderful. It says the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did he say that? He sure did. He said, they're going to turn their ears away from the truth. Turn their ears away. Listen, it's Jesus that makes a difference. And turn aside to myths. One of the greatest myths there is, is that believers are still under the performance of the law of the old covenant. Friends, it is a myth. All you have to do is open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, and it will clearly tell you right there the old covenant was made obsolete. We are no longer under that old covenant. Glory fixes. All right, let's talk about glory fixes. This is the person that is always looking for the booster shot. Just give me a prophetic word. Just give me a fiery sermon, you know. But they're really not interested in that consistent drip. That's what this ministry has been built on, is that consistent drip of grace. Drip, drip, drip. The problem with glory fixes is they usually fade before you hit the parking lot, and they're gone. Oh, yeah, you got fired up for the moment. But you know what? Let me tell you something. There's 168 hours in a week. You come to church for two of those hours. That means there's 166 hours. And when you go out there in the real world, in your real home, in your real family, where you got to live real life, I want to tell you something. You need some substance. You don't need Coca-Cola and Twinkies. You need some real substance on the inside of you. Amen. The message of grace and God's unconditional love does not typically come by some enormous glory manifestation. Again, it comes by that consistent drip, drip. My daddy is good, drip. <laughs> My daddy will never leave me or forsake me, drip, drip, drip. Those unsearchable riches are what defrags our souls from what I am calling space junk. 
I'll explain this defragging of space junk in just a moment. A healthy revelation of grace puts Old Covenant and New Covenant in their proper places. Daddy, I'm gonna t- when I say Daddy, I'm talking about Father God here now, placed a candle deep inside of us that can never be extinguished. We call Him Holy Spirit. In Proverbs chapter 20, verses 27 and 28, we find these words. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. He says, mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is established by mercy. The word mercy there is the Hebrew word chesed. It literally means the grace of God. It's better translated as the grace of God. So if we look at verse 28 there, it says literally, grace and truth preserve the king, and the throne of the king is established by grace. So where do we discover these unsearchable riches called grace? Friends, grace, I'm going to tell you, has one source, one source, and his name is Jesus. In John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this truth pops out. And of his fullness, I want you to remember that word, and of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Do you notice as you look at that scripture right there, the connotation is that the law is distant and cold, but grace is up close and personal and warm. The law was given, grace came. Do you see the difference there? The Pharisees thought that they had to preserve themselves by themselves by keeping the law of Moses. They were interested in a clean body and they were interested in clean behavior. But they just couldn't imagine that one could be clean apart from keeping the law and doing all these do's and don'ts. They just couldn't picture that. That's impossible. See, they've been programmed like that their entire life. Let me show you how well this goes over with Jesus, okay? Jesus had to tell them in Matthew chapter 23, verses 26 and 27, he starts off with some really pretty tough language. He says, blind Pharisee. That's strong language. But he's in front of religious people who just won't yield to him. He's in front of people who just say, no, we want Moses. The Son of God, Jesus himself, is standing right in front of these guys. And he has to say, blind Pharisee, He says, clean what is on the inside of the cup first, and then the outside will be clean too. And Jesus is really juxtaposing there the difference between spirit and soul. He's just saying, listen, if your spirit is clean, don't worry about it. Everything else is going to be clean as well. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to clean it up from the outside in. Jesus said, no, it starts from the inside out. It works from the inside out. And the one who could walk right into your heart is standing right in front of you, but you keep saying no. You keep saying you want Moses. And then Jesus says, how terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. And then he says, you hypocrites. (laughs) Oh, man, I was thinking about that this morning. Oh, I I was. You know, Chicago's been having a tough time down in that area, you know, with crime and stuff like that. I want to tell you, you want a death sentence on your life? Take those two words, go down and and just grab 100 people at random down in Chicago. I'll be preaching your funeral probably next week. But Jesus is just real. He says, you hypocrites. He's not like he's cussing or anything like that. He's just telling them the way it is. He says, you're hypocrites. He said, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look fine on the outside, 
but are full of bones and decaying corpses on the inside. You know what he's saying? He said, you know what? It's just like walking through a cemetery. Everything's all manicured and so beautiful and stuff like that. Look at the tombstones. They're so white and so beautiful. He said, but I'm reminded beyond all that beauty, beyond all that exterior beauty, he says, there's some decaying corpses on the inside and dead men's bones. He got tough with those guys, didn't he? So if Jesus is the sole source of grace, and he is, does it stand to reason that one discovers the unsearchable riches of Christ by pursuing the one full of grace and truth? If the Lord's riches are so vast and so unsearchable, then where do I begin looking for these riches? That's the question that people ask. Where do I start? I mean, he's so enormous. The word says he's unsearchable. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Look at the first three words. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what, friends? This is where transformation begins. It begins by looking unto Jesus. Don't look to self. Don't look to your pastor. Don't look to religion. Looking unto Jesus. It says he is the author. In other words, it all began with him. And he's the perfecter of our faith. And he paid an awesome price. It tells you right there who for the joy set before him, he just tolerated the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. He tolerated the cross so that we could look like him. When we behold our Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith long enough, then he will show up in our own mirror. I look in the mirror and I just say, Mark, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I just look at him and I just smile and say, Son, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You sure looking like Jesus today. Ain't nothing wrong with that. We're made in his image and likeness, right? <laughs> you can say that. He said it. Why not us say it too? Why not us get on board with what he says? He says, you are the righteousness of God in me, in Christ. So he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, that means there's nothing over your face, okay? It's unveiled. It's not veiled, it's unveiled. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Does that mean Jesus is showing up in your mirror? <laughs> He's going to show up in your mirror. Now, if you see him in your mirror, you let me know about it, okay? Does it mean he's going to show up in your mirror? No, you're going to show up in the mirror, but because you've been looking unto Jesus, you're going to see Jesus in you. Oh, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Do you see that? It means a metamorphosis. It means you don't look the same, you don't smell the same, you're not the same size, you're not the same shape. You have went through a transformation are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Jesus shows up in our mirror because we're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So what did that scripture just say? It said that the more we discover the unsearchable riches of Christ, the more our souls are transformed, that is your mind, your will, and your emotions, from glory to glory. Here's what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me. That candle, that eternal candle that he lit when we said, Jesus, come into my heart. That eternal candle that he lit in our spirit that nobody can snuff out. Nobody can blow that candle out. That eternal candle that he lit in our spirit begins to light candles in our soul, in our own emotions, in our own mind. 
And you know what? Listen, this is where I'm going with this message. I feel the Holy Spirit say, listen, you know, the difference really between a Christian that looks like a Christian, maybe a Christian that doesn't look like a Christian is what's operating in their soulish realm. Jesus is just as much in each one of their spirits. But you know, when a person looks unto Jesus, he begins to look like Jesus. He begins to sound like Jesus. He begins to talk like Jesus. He begins to smell like Jesus. Amen. In other words, the candle of our inner spirit lights candles in our souls. <laughs> this glory will show up in our speech and our emotions, our body, our deeds. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the Bible says his face was glowing. He wasn't shining because of the law, the radiance of the law. He was shining because he had been in the presence of God. And when we're in the presence of God and we're looking unto Jesus, you're going to start glowing. People are going to see Jesus in you. The eternal flame that our Father placed in our spirit is designed to light candles in our souls so that the world would come to know our Jesus. So what are the unsearchable riches of Christ? The unsearchable riches of Christ are the virtues that flow from Christ. It's not stuff. It's not just things. It's the virtues. It's His nature that flows from Him. Things like glory. Things like goodness. Things like light. Things like rest. Things like grace. And certainly His love. The word riches is translated as fullness. So when we say the unsearchable riches, we're literally saying the unsearchable fullness. It translates as fullness. So when the Bible speaks of unsearchable riches of Christ, again, literally the fullness of Christ. The word unsearchable, though, refers to one whose treasures can never be fully explored. <laughs> That's Jesus, isn't it? One whose treasures, you see, he said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. He's saying, listen, I'm so big. It all starts with me. It all ends with me. I can't be fully explored. His goodness is too deep. It's too wide. It's too high. And it's too long. So the question becomes, why is it important for us to discover the unsearchable fullness of Christ? And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me. Because a correct image of our Father produces a correct image in us. If you have a tainted image of Daddy, you're going to have a tainted image of everything. I was talking to a young man recently. He said, I understand the Jesus thing, and I understand the Holy Spirit, but I don't understand the Father thing. And so I had to take time to minister to him, to tell him, listen, when Jesus walked the earth, all he did is kept pointing to daddy. They tried to give him credit. He said, no, that's my daddy. And all the daddy tried to do is kept pointing to his son. They tried to give the father, no, no, and my son. Why is it important for us to discover those unsearchable riches of Christ? Because it produces a correct image in us. It causes us to reign in this life. I cannot reign with a distorted image of my daddy. I can't do it. Throughout the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul unleashes the greatest campaign for grace and love that his Gentile listeners have ever heard. Paul's message is absolutely foreign to the Gentiles as he stands and he fearlessly builds his case about the inexhaustible twin treasures of grace and love. And he just keeps working through them. All about grace in the first part of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 for that matter. But then when he gets to the end of chapter 3, he unleashes that bomb. That's where he really wanted to go. He wanted to tell you about God's love. He wanted to tell you about the love of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. This is our title scripture. The Apostle Paul said, although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace 
was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want you to make note that grace and the unsearchable riches of Christ came out of the very same breath that Paul breathed. When the Apostle Paul said that he was less than the least, he didn't say, I'm just the least. He said, listen, if you can just find the last guy, he said, I'm, I'm behind him. I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people. When he said that, I assure you, he was not suffering from low self-esteem or insecurity. I'll prove that in just a minute. He was not wearing a backpack of guilt and shame. He wasn't under condemnation, and he wasn't dealing with an identity crisis. Paul knew exactly who he was in Christ. He knew exactly who he was in Christ. He said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with this man. When he was on the cross, I was on the cross. When he was in the grave, that's where I died with him. When he was resurrected into newness of life, I was resurrected into newness of life. I know exactly who I am in Christ. I'm sorry, this just gets me excited to just know the goodness of my Jesus. You say, how do you know? How can you prove that the Apostle Paul was not feeling condemnation? He just said, man, you find the last guy in the totem pole, I'm like under his feet. <laughs> that sounds like he's feeling condemnation. That sounds to me like he's sounding a little insecure. The Apostle Paul was the one who wrote Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Well, now, if the Apostle Paul said that, he surely wasn't just talking to you and me. He was saying, this is the life I live. I live this life. I don't live in condemnation. I don't live in fear. I don't live in guilt and shame. Oh, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You say, what about that insecurity thing, man? Oh, let's not call it condemnation. Let's call it insecurity. All right. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. And through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Paul wrote that too. <laughs> Do you see what he says? He said, all we need is faith in Christ. We can approach God with unshackled freedom and complete confidence. Does that sound like insecurity to you? It doesn't to me. He said, hey, unshackled freedom, total confidence, complete confidence, in my Jesus. I believe that the Apostle Paul's purpose for telling his readers that he was less than the least of all the Lord's people was not to draw his audience's attention to how small he was, but it was to draw our attention to how big God's grace is. You see, in order to make something look big, you have to have a perspective. But look at the next slide here for a second. You see, that's a picture of the earth. And that's a picture of a dime, yet they're the same size. We know that that can't be. So you have to have a correct picture in your head. And he said, listen, I want to tell you something. I was really small at one time. In fact, his name, Paul, means small. It translates as small. He said, I was just a little guy. I was persecuting the church. I was killing Christians. I was the worst of the worst. Oh, but grace came along, knocked me off my horse with that bright light. Oh, praise his holy name. I believe the Apostle Paul was just saying, look how bad I was, but grace. The Apostle Paul had not forgotten how he persecuted those innocent believers. But I believe God had taken the stinger out of that. You see, I want to tell you something. It's like a scorpion when it striketh a man. You see, it hurts. But if you take the poison out of the scorpion, you're not going to die. 
Oh, it's going to hurt every time he strikes you, but you're not going to die. And I believe what Paul was saying, yeah, I still feel that sting a little bit. I wish I'd have done things different in life. But you know what? There's no poison working in me. There's no acid on me in Jesus' name because it's all been removed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The word unsearchable literally translates as inexhaustible. Oh, inexhaustible is synonymous with words like bottomless and endless and limitless and boundless. The Apostle Paul waves the banner of the unsearchable riches of Christ so beautifully throughout the book of Ephesians as he relentlessly speaks of the grace and the love of God. He begins his journey in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. This is what he says. He said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Notice whose power it is. It's his power. He said, I became a servant. He said, when I saw grace, when I experienced grace, when grace hit me, I said, hey, sign me up. Gospel means good news. I want to be a servant of this good news. I want to be a servant of this gospel. Sign me up for God's grace given me through the working of his power. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. And God raised us up with Christ. Oh, he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Friends, let me tell you something, man. Is that awesome or what? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. How'd you get saved? By grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There it is. Over and over, he hammers on grace, grace, and he's standing in front of the Ephesians, and he's telling them about God's wonderful, marvelous grace, because he's preparing their hearts, so in chapter 3, at the end of it, he can drop that love bomb in there and go, listen, you would have never believed about the love of God, unless I prepared the way with grace first. You've got to see, you were small at one time, but God's grace was so big it reached down and it pulled you out of the miry pit oh oh man it's by grace that you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not by works lest any man should boast grace is a gift and gifts are given a gift that is received but not opened is just a package jesus didn't come to give us a package okay UPS can do that. FedEx can do that. Jesus came to give us grace. Jesus came to give us eternal life. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Jesus didn't knock on our heart's doors just to drop off a package. He knocked on our heart's door so that once opened, he could deposit the unsearchable riches of his grace in us. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus said these words. He said, look at me. He said, look at me. Look at me. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me call and open the door, you got to open this present, friend. If you hear me call and open the door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Friends, let me tell you something. The purpose of this message is not to get you more saved in your spirit. That's impossible. You're as saved as you're ever going to get. You're not like that preacher's daughter that was 10%, 20%, 30%, 40% saved. You're as saved as you're going to get. The purpose of this message is to work out that salvation out of your spirit realm and get it over into your soulish realm, your mind, your will, your emotions, so that you can believe everything that God says about you. Amen? 
The purpose of this message is to defrag our minds of religion. Religion is what I'm calling space junk. Allow me to explain the buzzwords defrag soul and space junk. When I speak of the soul, again, I'm speaking in particular the mind and the emotions, okay? The soul is the realm where healthy and unhealthy dwell. Unhealthy things are like strongholds. They're fortified in our soulish realm. Things like fear and shyness and anger and unforgiveness and guilt and jealousy and shame. These are all strongholds that are tied into our emotional realm. They're in our soul, okay? And God wants to deal with them so that you can look more like him. And so not only you can see it, but everybody can see it. I had a friend one time that was sitting in a restaurant eating his meal and a woman walked in and he was a pastor of a church and she started cussing him out and just telling me, your church ain't real and there ain't nothing real about you. You're a fake and a phony and all this stuff. And, and he just took it. He just took it with grace. She started to walk away and she turned around and she looked at him and she said, and that light on your face isn't real either. <laughs> she saw something on this man because he was being so gracious. The soul realm is where ideologies are shaped. Philosophies, mindsets, principles, thoughts, ideas. The soulish realm are where emotions get fractured. Things like your feelings get hurt. Passions dwindle. Sensations, you, you get numb about things. You can sum up the soul by saying that the soul is a place where information and experience are warehoused. Too often believers magnify their issues when they ought to magnify his riches. How long it's been said, we spend too much time talking about the mountain and not enough time talking to the mountain. Don't magnify the mountain. Magnify your Messiah. Magnify your Jesus. Magnify your Christ. I heard the Holy Spirit say this to me in preparation for this message. He said, talking about the issues of life strengthen their persistence and prolong their presence. Say la. You can just pause and think about that one for just a moment. Let me say it again. Talking about the issues of life, that is the issues of life. The issues you've got in your body, the issues you've got in your marriage, the issues you've got in your finances. Talking about them, just always talking about them, strengthen their persistence and prolong their presence. Let me lay the foundation for the balance of this message with a clear explanation of the words defrag and space junk. The soul is made up of the mind the will, and the emotions. Now in a perfect world, nothing gets broken. Nothing gets damaged. Nothing gets fractured. Nothing gets corrupted. The problem is, is we don't live in a perfect world. Okay? There's one coming, but we don't live in it right now. In the world we live in, wills are broken, emotions are damaged, and thoughts are corrupted. The word defrag, listen to me carefully on this, it's a computer term that was introduced in 1988. It is made up of two words, the prefix D, D-E, and the word frag, which is a crop version from fragment. Put together, they form the word defrag. Now let me explain something to you here so that you kind of understand this concept of what I'm talking about. The hard drive on our computer spins at 7,200 RPMs. That means in one minute, it's went around 7,200 times. It's really buzzing. The hard drive is a round platter inside there, and it has something that comes down and reads information. When you start laying information down on a, on a hard drive, it starts always from the center and then works its way out. Well, what happens here, let me show you through this slide right here. 
This is like a spider web. I was asking my IT guy at work the other day, I said, I want you to explain defrag to me. And he began to explain it through a drawing. I said, then it's kind of like a spider web, isn't it? He said, it's exactly what it's like, he said. It's just like that, exactly. You see, on a hard drive or this web, you have sectors. In those sectors, you have something called cells. This is a cell. These are cells. And what happens is, as you're writing information, whether it's software, music, whatever it may be, it starts from the center and it keeps working its way out. What happens though is some of those cells get corrupted. It can happen through a virus that you download. It can happen in different ways. Sometimes it just physically gets scratched. But those cells get corrupted. Now imagine in this cell right here, I wrote a 30,000 page letter to somebody. And then two years later I decided I don't want that letter anymore and I delete it. That means there's nothing in that cell. So when you defrag, it takes everything that's way out there on the edges and it brings it all the way back in the center so it doesn't have to work as hard. You see, it's the law and grace thing. You know, when Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you grace, so you don't have to work so hard, okay? You'll be able to lie down in green pastures once in a while, okay? I'm going to give you this grace. But what happens is we get corrupted. There's files that get corrupted. There's sectors that get corrupted and cells that get corrupted. And you know what happens? Nothing can go in there. You ever try to access a file on your computer and it just won't let you get it? Sometimes that's just corruption. And so what happened over the years is religion began to program us with this information that just kind of corrupted our hard drive. I'm talking about our mind, our will, and our emotions. And you say, man, how do I get this stuff out of here? The only way to get it out, friends, is you've got to have someone that has the ability to do that, and his name is Jesus, okay? He comes in when all the IT people say, there's nothing we can do. It's too late. He said, no, it's not. I'm going to start dripping my grace over your mind, over your soul over your emotional realm. We're going to start defragging things and bringing things back into alignment. Now, what does that have to do with us? You see it. Our souls are greater than any hard drive made. Our soul stores thoughts and emotions into files. Experiences and emotions that get fragmented over time. You know what? Listen, man, my mom had four boys and a girl, and I'm not kidding you. There would be times she'd go through all three of my other brother's names trying to call me. I'm serious. She'd just go through all their names. I think one time she even called me by my sister's name. She's just trying to get all the names out, you know. You know what, what's happening there is you're just kind of getting fragmented and kind of scattered. Well, what grace does is it brings us back into alignment, okay? The spiritual application of what I'm talking about is this. All the things that you and I have learned over the years about the nature of God and how His principles work are stored in the hard drive of our minds. Let me break down this word defrag. D means to remove, reverse, or move in the opposite direction. And I think we understand that word when we use something like promotion or demotion. Okay? You know they're moving in different directions, don't you? Promotion moves up, demotion moves down, right? If you're a brigadier general in the army and your patches are removed from you and they put major general on there, you've just received a promotion. If they take your brigadier general patches off and put colonel on there, you've just received a demotion. Although rare military demotions typically have to do with conduct, crime, or plain old wrongdoing. Now here's what I want to say. Satan's deception is to continuously make believers think that their performance changes their rank, their position, 
or their right standing with God. See, because that's the way it works in the world. It's got to work that way in God's kingdom too. No, it does not work that way in God's kingdom. If I perform well in life, I'm promoted. If I underperform or perform poorly, then I'm demoted. This is a bait believers need not to take. Once you take from that bait, your understanding of identity will bounce between servant and son. And God is always saying, you are forever a son in my eyes. When most believers fail, everything in their mind and their emotions will scream to them that they have to work hard to climb that ladder of success again, to be close to daddy, to be close in position, to be close in rank. Friends, this is simply not true. The word frag is short for fragment. Fragment means to be broken off, detached, or incomplete. Put together, defrag means to reverse brokenness or to restore to wholeness. Do you see the picture? Do you see the spiritual application? Put together, he's saying frag is fragmented, you're broken. Defrag, remember, is to move in the opposite direction. We don't want to leave you broken, right? Friends, the message of the cross is that Jesus has taken away all of our brokenness. He has defragged us, if you will. That's the message of grace. That's the message of God's love. Jesus died for our sins because we were broken and we were detached and we were incomplete without the Father. Did you know there's something in Earth's orbit called space junk? I want you to see a satellite picture of that. That's actually a, a picture of space junk. This is stuff that's in the orbit out there. I'm not talking about in our sky. I'm talking about once you get out into space. We've got all this space junk out there. Most of it's man-made. It's stuff from satellites colliding together and stuff like that. Did you know that stuff's moving at 17,500 miles an hour? Did you know that even a grain of salt could kill you out there if it hit you in the head? Because it's moving so fast, it'd just go right through you. There's people that have full-time jobs that track where that space junk is at. So if we send a space shuttle into the air, it's like a space invaders game, but they're, they're kind of maneuvering you around it so you don't run into this stuff. Some of it's bigger than softball. Some of it's only the size of marbles, but a marble traveling at 17,500 miles an hour is like a bullet. It's worse than a bullet. It'll penetrate steel. It'll it just go right through you. And so what happens is, as we were growing in life and we were coming up through the church, we were coming up in our Christian walk, we began to hear all this stuff. There was all this space junk that was coming in to us, and it's deadly. But we don't need to just maneuver around it. God says, listen, I want to set you free from it. I don't want you just holding on to the joystick and just trying to figure your way around it through life. Why don't you just want to walk in freedom? Amen? There are fragments stuck in the orbit of our minds and emotions. Fragments of anger and jealousy, low self-esteem, fear, guilt, shame, condemnation, all the big hitters. And given the right circumstances, that space junk will manifest. Every believer that I've met in my 22-year journey as a Christian has space junk. Okay? So don't think you're exempt from space junk. Everybody's got it. Some people carry more than others, but everybody's got it. But I hear the word of the Lord saying we can totally be decluttered from this space junk. And how does it happen? It happens by seeing Daddy for who he really is, full of goodness, full of grace, full of mercy, full of truth, full of kindness. Oh, there's no evil in Daddy. There's no bad in Daddy. There's no condemnation from our Father. 
Friends, the revelation of God's unconditional love and the faithfulness to His covenant is like a vacuum that pulls even the finest particulate of space junk out of our souls and out of our emotions. My closing scriptures. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. Do you see what Apostle Paul is doing? He's continually reminding you how I became who I am. It was by God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We don't have to approach our daddy as a beggar. If you're doing that, just stop. You don't have to approach him as a beggar. You don't have to approach him with a stepchild mentality or a foster child mentality. We don't have to approach daddy biting our nails. We can go to Him with unshackled freedom and complete confidence. Why? Because we possess, we are the carriers of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Our Father sees us through the same lens that He sees Jesus through. When our Daddy beholds us through the shed blood of Jesus, all He sees is the unsearchable riches of His dear beloved Son. Friends, at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul can't contain himself. It was like this crescendo that was building. Oh, he, he, he's just kind of slipping it all in there. But he's really wanting you to see the love of God. That's what he's wanting to see. And then he releases every firework in his possession as he does his best to articulate the measurements of the love of God, the very substance that strips us of all that space junk. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. He said, this is how I do it. He said, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit. Then He says, not a brute strength, which means not a physical strength. It's not about physical strength. It's about the inner strength that He's talking about here in your spirit, man, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. Isn't that what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open it, I will come in and have supper with him. Do you remember what I told you about the word riches, how it translates as the fullness of God? Friends, we live full lives, full in the fullness of God because of the unsearchable fullness or the unsearchable riches of God. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for this simple truth that we are totally intact in our spirit, man. And the more we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, what's in our spirit begins to spill over into our soul. I want to thank you, Father, that your goodness and your grace are virtues that just super abound to swallow up all of that space junk, to swallow up all of that wrong-headed thinking. Daddy, I just praise you and I thank you, Father, that I can walk out of this room today. I can walk out of here with the confidence. I can walk out of here, Daddy, with unshackled freedom. And it's because of one reason, one reason only, the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.